What did I say? Well, you said we're going to be talking about Jewish culture as it lived in the old home in Europe and as it is presently living with us today. And we're going to talk about the language. And language. As such, the Yiddish language. Uh, you just heard the voice of uh, Hannah Fegele Turteltaub, who's one of our three guests. She is a teacher of Yiddish. Uh, Nathaniel Stamfer is professor of Jewish studies and dean emeritus at the Spurtis Institute of Judaic Studies here in Chicago. And Danny Newman is world-renowned as a builder of audiences for artistic events uh, for many years and still to this moment associated with the Lyric Opera, but also with many other institutions around the world. His present position is Public Relations Council. He also for many years was married to one of the great actresses of the Yiddish stage, uh, Dina Halpern, and we're going to hear something uh, by her, recorded by her, later tonight. There's much that we're going to be listening to tonight as well as much that we will talk about. Uh, there's a challenge in this. I said uh, before you folks came in, when I came in to promote this program on the previous program, I said that there's probably no other language that has had, that is more fully seeped into modern American English than Yiddish. Does that seem a fair judgment? Oh, for sure. Uh, it's many languages, many languages do have an effect on Yiddish, but English has had the most profound effect of all immigrant languages. Yiddish, uh, Yiddish, of course. Yeah. What are some of the, just let's quickly review, what are some of the words that are now in common American English usage which are Yiddish in origin? Maven, schlep, schmate. Meshuggah. Meshuggah, of course, just to name a few. Shmuas, shmuas becomes schmooze. Oh, does it really? I didn't mm -hmm. know that. Yeah, makes sense. Klop. Klop. <laughs> What's oi, klop? Oi, oi, vey. Oi, vey, to be sure. Yeah, mazel, mazel tov. tov. Everyone says that, not only Jews. Do Baptists in Iowa say mazel tov? I bet they understand it, even if they don't <laughs> say it. Uh, early in, uh, in, in our history in America, fin came from the word finf. A fin. Five dollar bill? A fin, a fin right. from for finf. finf. Of course, that could just as well come from the German, finif or funif or funf. But it came from the yeah. Yiddish. We trace it. You think? To the Yiddish. Well, right. there you come instantly to the actual derivation of Yiddish itself. What is Yiddish? What is its history? How did it develop as a language? Clearly, we have to instantly agree, or maybe you don't agree, that the basic structure of Yiddish is German. It begins in a, uh, a version of Middle German in the Middle Ages. Yeah, about a thousand years ago, in the area called Lotel, roughly the borders between Germany and France, that was the cradle of Yiddish, uh, a language arose out of the Middle High German dialect. I wouldn't say that it came from German, but it's a Germanic language, much as English is a Germanic yeah. language, and Dutch mm. and Swedish uh, are Germanic languages. But Yiddish is closer to German now than English is. For example, it has uh, 
it has gendered uh, nouns, and English doesn't have them. Absolutely. It does have gendered nouns, but in structure, Yiddish is closer to English than so? modern-day German. No? Yes, yes. Yeah, and in certain, in certain ways, modern-day Yiddish is closer to modern-day Yiddish. You mean in English. Yiddish you don't... Uh, behind all the other words at last, the final verb put? That's it. You put your finger right on That's it. That's what you do we in do German. We do not save the participle t- for the end because you could die till you get to the <laughs> participle. You forgot where you started. Yeah. And, and that's something that's changed, that's been modernized, and that's more, that's closer to English. Uh, let me hear some Yiddish, or rather let our listeners hear some Yiddish. Uh, let me see. I'll just invite you, Danny Newman, to say what you were doing today over at the opera or wherever you were, but say it in Yiddish. Come closer. Milton, ich muss auch sagen, dass ich habe gearbeitet sehr schwer. Den ganzen Tag war mir im Büro. You, you worked the whole day very, uh, very strenuously at the office. That's right. Yeah. You were at the opera. What were you working on? Ich schreibe auf mein Schreibmaschine. Nicht auf dem Computer? Nein, ich habe nicht einmal gelernt Computeries. What is being said here? I, 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 I bet you there English, a manual typewriter. Uh, I would bet lots of listeners, though they don't know any Yiddish and may not even know German, can probably translate that. <laughs> what you were saying, of course, was that you work on, you were writing on your typewriter and you interposed, not on your computer, and... Yeah. Manual, typewriter, yeah. I didn't say yeah. you, worked, you worked it in, yeah. That's right. <laughs> years ago, when I was a kid, and during the war years, uh, relatives of ours uh, who lived in Paris. They were of Polish origin, but they lived in Paris. Their son was born in Paris. He's now a very famous physicist. They came over. My family helped them escape uh, and get to this country, and I will never forget the first day they arrived. The only language I had in common with these people was Yiddish. They spoke French and Polish. I didn't at that time know any French, and I certainly never knew and don't now know any Polish. So we spoke Yiddish. Mine was rather faltering. Theirs was quite good. But it struck me suddenly, it was a hot summer's day, and suddenly uh, the woman, she was my cousin once removed, turned to my mother and said, <laughs> Maybe we can open here, but she used fenetre, yeah. uh, the French, yeah. for window instead of, right. I suppose in America might have said de vindola. But no, the opposite the is fence also fence Could have said fence. The though, opposite is true in America. Yeah. Uh, even the old timers here will ask that the effen de vinde. They, yeah. they won't use uh, yes. the, the fenster, they'll use window, the opposite, because you'll, uh, you'll find the movement a, a, is the other direction. American Jewish children who will insist they speak perfect Yiddish, and they'll use it as an example of that, Ephraim de Vinde. Which is ridiculous, because you're using a complete English yeah. word there for window. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> On the other hand, go a step further the other way. The, uh, the, uh, the, the lady who said to her daughter, Anua mein Kind, sag mir, wie sagt man matches auf Englisch? Tell me, my child, how do you say it? Yeah. <laughs> there is a great funny story. Do you know the story about the two students of structural linguistics at Columbia University, both of whom are Yiddish speakers? And one says to the other, I'm going to tell you this story, it's a real production. Uh, Danny may have heard me tell it before, but one says to the other, you know, I've been reading uh, this guy Worf, famous linguistic theorist of some years ago, and it's interesting. And the other, one, the other guy says, well, yeah, but I haven't had time for it. What's it really about? Well, Worf, he says, has this wonderful idea that the language of a people expresses somehow its historical experience, uh, its culture, even the emotional modalities that go with that particular kind of identity. 
and the first guy says, well, what do you mean? I don't understand. He says, well, I was thinking, he talks about how the Eskimos have 50 different words for 50 different types of snow. But I was asking myself, what about, how could you illustrate this with Yiddish? And uh, I asked myself, well, what's typical in, uh, in Yiddish? What are all the, uh, the things that need a lot of vocabularistic differentiation? And it occurred to me, obviously, it's different modes of suffering. Our whole historical experience has been to suffer. Uh, the root experience is disappointment, existential disappointment. And so I realized, if you look at Yiddish, there are, hundred, there are many, many different words for all the shades, the hemi-demi-semi-quavers of different types of, uh, of, of loss, of disappointment, of existential defeat. What do you mean, says the friend? Well, I'll illustrate it for you. To begin with, uh, of course, the, the root word, the basic word for disappointment in Yiddish would be, it would be, uh, uh, gee, oh, don't, don't, Nanny, Nanny, you did that last time too. You ruined my joke, but I'll go on anyway. It would be, gee, I can't think of what it is. I can't think of what it is. And they get very hung up on this, and the other guy says, listen, I'll call my grandmother. She doesn't speak a word of English, and she will ex tell us uh, what the, the root word for disappointment is. He calls his grandmother, and he says, Boba, does is my rando. She says, Zayo Shane, you're going to have to translate for me as we go. Uh, grandmother says, very nice of you, Myron, yeah. to call me. Uh, but the grandmother, I must ask you something. Imagine that I had an appointment to come with, to eat at your house Friday night. says the Boba. Very nice. Very beautiful, yeah. she says. But yeah. Uh, uh, grandmother, you've done everything. You've prepared uh, uh, challah, you've prepared gefilte fish, a beautiful Sabbath meal. Right. Avada, says the Baba. Of course. She, she says, of course. Uh, I call you toward evening and I tell you that I can't come. Oi, says the Baba. How would you feel if I said that to you? And she thinks for a while and says, I'll tell you the truth. Disappointed. <laughs> I would feel um, disappointed. Yeah, you're, but of course, you ruined the joke with the Antoicht. But of course, Antoicht is in fact the real word Antoicht, for disappointment. Antoicht. Antoicht. Right, Antoicht. Antoicht. There are several jokes mm. that end the same way. I know, it's a classic joke. I knew that you knew it even as I was telling you. Yeah. And behind the, the humor, there's a certain pathos that the words that people are supposed to know, the bubbies and the, the mm -hmm. mavens, they are being forgotten. And so if you think behind, behind the joke, get behind the joke, there's a certain sadness there as well. Well, here, here's an interesting and serious question. What are we to make of this language? Uh, I know from visits to Israel that the attitude was, maybe you'll tell me now it no longer is, but for a long time after the Holocaust, the attitude was Yiddish was the language of our suffering. It's German anyway in its original origins, whatever else we made of it, and it's the language of the shtetl, the language of the life we led, which led to our immolation. It must be put aside. Ivrit is uh, the language of our people. Hebrew is the language of our people. That and that be. attitude really prevailed in Israel for quite some time. Oh, yeah. That may be, but two years ago, 
in the Knesset there was an official uh, apology expressed, documentation drawn up about it. And today there must be a hundred or more high schools in Israel that offer Yiddish as one of their languages. And uh, the, the remarkable thing about it is that that feeling is, uh, exists all over the world. You mentioned Paris mm -hmm. before. Well, I pulled I mean, off the computer tonight an advertisement for a summer session teaching Yiddish in Paris at the uh -huh. Sorbonne. Right. Yeah. Well, but you see, the, the remarkable thing is when you're in Israel and you're standing at the bus stop and you see people speaking, uh, they want to ask you directions. They're, they're Russian Jews. They haven't learned Hebrew yet. Yeah, right. So it, it's remarkable how many of them still know Yiddish, despite the fact that more than 70, 75 years, they, they grew up in a non, basically non-Yiddish speaking. I gather there's another phenomenon. I know that uh, Hannah is very much involved in this. Uh, American Jews maybe even American non-Jews, for all I know, who don't know any Yiddish, never knew any Yiddish, who as adults decide they want to learn it. Absolutely, and what I was going to tell you is that they're so far removed from the idea that it's a ghetto language, mm -hmm. that now, with the advent of Alex Haley's roots, people are checking into their genealogy, they're trying to get back to their roots because they feel like they're free-floating in, in time and space, and they want to reconnect. And many of them feel that Yiddish is the way to do it, because it's not only a language, it's also a window into the Jewish soul. I love the story you were telling us before we came on the air about a rather uh, elderly gentleman who yeah. at the age of 87, did you say? 86. Bible, if you're listening, hello, Basmastu. Undertook to learn Yiddish for the first time. Yes, he felt that uh, after he retired from the uh, symphony orchestra, he really didn't know what to do with himself. He'd been so busy with his career all his life, and his children suggested that he learn Yiddish. Uh, he came to me at 86, and he said, I don't know if I can do this. And he has become, now he's He's become an absolute sponge. He can't get enough. And he's my best student. Uh, let me say that uh, that is remarkable and it's beautiful, but there's something even more remarkable. Mm -hmm. Not 86, but 26 and 22 and 30 and 40 and 50 are yearning to come back uh, to their roots, and, and many of whom already know Hebrew, so it's easy for them to learn how to read Yiddish. They want to make this additional tie. When we first uh, reintroduced teaching Yiddish <coughs> at Spurtis in the 70s, uh, I asked all the students why they would come. And many of them came from the University of Illinois, with whom we had a program then. And I, I would ask each one, why do you want to come? And all of them told about it. Bobby and others felt that they wanted to come closer to their tradition. One young man said, I don't know. There's something in me wants to express itself in Yiddish. Obviously, he wasn't starting from zero. So this is uh, something that uh, equally remarkable is the fact that the youth and, and the middle age uh, also are coming back. It's just pintily ye, that little spark of Judaism within us. And yes, 86 is remarkable and 26 is even more remarkable. But in Chicago, we have cheders elementary schools that are being taught in Yiddish, very much like they were in Eastern Europe, and I think that is even more remarkable. How does that compare to the teaching of Hebrew and to the use of Hebrew, say, in the Chicago Jewish community? Oh, Hebrew and Yiddish are completely different. One does not preclude the oh, other. Oh, I know that. I think both but I mean, is Hebrew as popular as Yiddish? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely, yes. Hebrew yeah. is very popular. Uh, I just want to say on the subject, I, uh, it's not original, uh, I've said it very often that one does not have to hate one's father to love one's mother. You, you can love both mm. Hebrew and Yiddish. And I think that is very important. You see, you, uh, you describe uh, certain attitudes 
uh, more of what used to be in Israel uh, negatively toward mm. Yiddish because of that they connected it, you said, with the immolation yeah, of the did. Jewish masses in Europe and so on. Actually, what there's more to it than that. Uh, there was the Sprachenkampf, the battle of languages for supremacy in Israel because the largest overwhelming amount of the immigration in the, tw in the late 19th century and in the 20th century from Eastern Europe sure. into Israel, th that immigration was overwhelmingly Yiddish-speaking. And Zionist ideology demanded the reestablishment of the Hebrew language. And that was really the main factor in the, mm -hmm. the Sprachenkampf, the battle of languages. Yeah. Well, there are two reasons why Hebrew won out in Israel. First of all, if Yiddish had become the language of, uh, the, of the land, then there would be no... What about the, the Sephardim Jews? Only a, a half, less than half of the world spe uh, spoke Yiddish. Yes, Yiddish was the language of the Ashkenazi and, Jews. And besides, Hebrew Europe. was the ancient language that could unite all of the people. Yeah, of course. Uh, actually, there are other Yidd there are other Jewish languages, yeah, and sure. Ladino, as it's called, yeah. is the Yiddish. Judeo, Judeo so it has nothing Spanish, to do with Yiddish. Yes. Of the uh, Sephardim. Yes, but also there's Judeo-Arabic, Judeo-Persian, Judeo-Greek. Yeah. In Salonika, particularly. Yeah. Yes, but I don't know how many Jews still speak Yivanic. <laughs> Probably not many. We are overdue for commercials. That was utterly predictable. Uh, when we come back, a great opera star, and somebody that Danny knew well, uh, and that I met towards the end of his career, and I just uh, thought him a wonderful man. Uh, also, at times, a cantorial performer. I guess I won't give his name yet, but we're going to hear a song sung by that great American Jewish singer. We return directly after these words. We turn from the language to the culture, but you don't really turn. Language is made by culture, culture is made by language. They are uh, identically, they are organically connected. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've said nothing yet about the East European culture of the Jews, particularly. There are other Jewish cultures, we were just talking about that. But in the great pale of Eastern Europe, where for a while better than half of all of the Jews of the world lived until the Holocaust, or was it even more than half at the time? Eleven million Jews uh, spoke Yiddish at yeah. the time. When, when in total there were how many? Eighteen. So it was better than half. Yeah. Uh, and in that culture, which is sometimes called the shtetl culture, as if they never got out of the villages, though indeed they did, and uh, once the Enlightenment, the Haskava, came, uh, they filled the cities, they filled the professions, even in Poland, even, of course, in Russia and in the Ukraine and so on. Uh, there's so much that can be said about that culture, we can't do it all here, but one key to a culture, of course, is its music. And let's now turn to this recording. The man I was speaking of, of course, a moment ago, is Jan Pierce. You knew him well, did you not, Danny? Yes, I knew him very well. I, uh, I worked with him. I, uh, I press-agented him in performances with the Metropolitan Opera on tour. He was Toscanini's favorite tenor, as I remember. Uh, yes, actually, Toscanini also had this a similar feeling for Jan Pierce's brother-in-law, Richard Rich Tucker. He loved them both. Yeah. And it Curious. would be hard to love them both. They had both. They had great tenor voices. But they were, and they were both cantorial singers as well. Uh, well Tucker Ri more Richard than Pierce. Richard Tucker was a professional cantor before he was an opera singer. Yeah. Uh, Jan Pierce was a uh, qualified cantor 
but he, he, he did not follow it as a profession. Mm -hmm. He had all the capabilities, and he made a very great number of uh, Yiddish folk recordings and also Hebrew liturgical recordings. We're going to hear one of those folk recordings. Uh, Pierce came here. I met him uh, when he came on this program. He had done a little, uh, not a little, a very nice autobiography titled, I think, The Blue Bird of Happiness, yes. which was one of his... Uh, was he as great? Famous yet, songs. Yeah. That brought him to to national and even international think, fame. That song uh, did it. I think it, from the Roxy yeah. Theater yes. in New York. When he, that's how his career, uh, great public career but, but began. But we hit it off. I quite, I quite yeah. enjoyed the man. thought him a wonderful man, and he insisted that we come along to a concert he was doing uh, on that visit here in at one of the Jewish centers in Chicago. Uh, one song, uh, and I, I choose this one because it also tells you a good deal about the culture of the East European Jews, Shah Still. Uh, it has, Shah Still macht nicht kein Gewalt, der Rebbe geht schon tanzen bald. You want to explain uh, the full significance of that, Nathaniel? I think that song reflects the joyousness that characterized the Hasidic mode of life uh, centered around the tzaddik, the, 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 the rabbi of the particular group. And uh, this song emphasizes that. Shh, shh, quiet, quiet, here comes the, uh, the, the and rabbi. Hasidism, as it was practiced then, for that matter, as it's still practiced, is a kind of a happy time Judaism in a way, is it not? It is. It's, it's stressed uh, the happy times, and you wake up in the morning, and you say modani, and you say all the prayers and so on. You're grateful for the night's <laughs> rest and facing a new day of opportunity, naturally. That but worship itself. itself takes not merely a solemn air, but takes on a kind of a joyous air. Yeah, I'm saying that it permeated all of life, and Even all of life permeated Judaism. Yeah. Yes. And that's what this song is about. Uh, the rabbis in ordinary Orthodox uh, synagogues don't come down and dance amidst uh, the congregation. No, they not do in the sometimes. Simchas Torah, they do. Even the Misnagdim dance. Well, in our synagogue, whenever there's... Whenever there's now, the words to this song are... I, I started with... Shah still machnish kein Gewalt. Be very quiet. Don't make any noise. The rabbi is about to dance. He's going to start dancing. And as he dances, the heavens... The heavens... What? Zitteren. Zitteren die Wand. Tremble. Shake. And all of the Hasidim marching with the hand. They clap their hands. All of the Hasidics clap their hands. Sometimes they clap their hands. Here it is. Yes, 
Jan Pierce was probably one of the most musically um, educated of all opera singers. He was a great musician, and I, I attribute that to the fact that he was first a violinist, and a wonderful violinist. Uh, when my late wife, <coughs> Dina Halpern, first came to the United States in the late 30s, he played in the pit orchestras uh, for the operettas she appeared in, in New mm. York. Uh, he used his voice, in a sense, as if it were another musical instrument, which it really is, if you stop to think of it, as if it were a violin. He, used it, mm. it, uh, he had uh, complete control. Did he ever perform for you folks at the Lyric? No, he did not. Uh, uh, he did not. He had a long career at, well, at, at the, the Metropolitan, yeah, of course. Yes. At the time that Lyric began, he was at the peak of his career, not only at the Metropolitan, in concert work, and for whatever the reasons, was not available to us. But since we had Giuseppe Di Stefano mm -hmm. and, then, and his brother-in-law, Richard Tucker, and UC Bjorling, and uh, uh, Franco Corelli, you were able to muddle and Alfredo Kraus, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and um, uh, Carlo Bergonzi. Uh, I could mention a few more. We just went, we somehow got through. I just turned on Danny the Opera PR man, didn't I? 
<laughs> you sure did. But you know, uh, I will assert, this is not about Yiddish kultur, except it's about Jan Pierce, that probably the greatest single recording of uh, La Boheme is the one that Toscanini did with Pierce and Licia Albanese. Yes, it is a wonderful recording. It's a classic. It's, it's a classic, yes. beautiful recording. And it was done probably f 50 years ago, I don't know, 40 years ago at least. At least 40 yeah. years ago. Uh, returning to our theme, well, I guess first returning to our commercial load, we're, uh, we're going to try to catch up with those. But when we come back, um, I want to talk more about life in Eastern Europe uh, and necessarily about uh, the flourishing of the East European shtetl culture or Yiddish culture and then its demise, its terrible demise. And indeed, uh, there is a poem read uh, by Danny's wife, uh, which only now deceased, what, how many years ago? Eight and, eight and a half years. That long ago was it already, yeah. Uh, by Dina Halpern, which we will hear shortly. Um, because it commemorates uh, the most painful of all aspects of the Holocaust, namely the death of children. We will return directly after these words. With a quick reintroduction of our guest tonight, uh, Hannah Fegele uh, Torteltaub is a teacher of Yiddish, uh, particularly at the Dawn Schumann Institute. She also uh, does private teaching. Nathaniel Stamfer is professor of Jewish studies and dean emeritus at the Spurtis Institute of Jewish Studies in Chicago. And Danny Newman is public relations counsel at Lyric Opera and counsel to loads of other theatrical and musical organizations around the world for which he has been organizing audiences for many years. Uh, of the culture, how can one do, a f do the culture justice in just a few words? Uh, we are all children of that culture, though none of us... Well, you were raised in that culture more uh, than uh, I was. Of course, I, uh, I'm, I'm speaking to Hanna Fegele. You were raised in that culture in the Russian version, or in the East European version. Uh, the rest... Uh, you... Uh, Nathaniel, were born in Israel, actually, when it was still Palestine, I suppose. <laughs> yes, I'm a Palestinian. And Danny, where were you born? I might have been in the middle of Vilna. It was in Douglas Park, Chicago, yeah. in 1919, January, that I was born. And I was born in Brooklyn, but of parents who came from Eastern Europe, of course. But they were intensely Jewish neighborhoods, mm -hmm. uh, which you may, might have been in any great European Jewish center. We all knew that culture at a remove, but we knew it. I don't know if we knew, all knew it at a remove. After all, uh, Yiddish was not only the lingua franca for Jews in Europe and the rest of the world, but the religious community of Jews has never stopped speaking Yiddish. It's the language into which the Talmud and the Tanakh, everything, all the halachas, everything were, yeah. uh, was translated into Yiddish. And that's really my grounding of it. Uh, and the language of instruction and in all the yeshivas. Uh, exactly. And that is why uh, Dr. Turtletaub has uh, the students now to teach because the yeshivas and the religious community want their children to, grow, to know Yiddish better so that when they go to, to higher studies, they'll be able to translate it into Yiddish. There's, uh, and there's a great interest in the yeshivas now, I understand. Yeah. One of them, I know particularly, but, uh, but, they but want their students to learn Yiddish properly. But I think Hanna Fegele disagrees with you. My students are not only of the re of re no. religious... I'm sorry, I'm referring to your statement before that there are schools that are teaching Yiddish that you've written materials for. 
Not um, some, but mostly my my students are not religious. They are just the opposite. The religious ones have somewhere to go to reconnect with their roots, and they've never left their roots. The ones that I find coming to me, and some even who are not Jewish, are not religious and want somehow through Yiddish to connect to that that mm. something that they're missing. Who are uh, who are your non-Jewish students? How do Interestingly enough, I had one woman who was a reverend. Um, she was a chaplain uh-huh. at Ruth, Rush North Shore, Meg, if you're listening. Megala, we used to call her. And she found herself working with a lot of Jewish patients and wanted to go into a Ph.D. in mm-hmm. so something in social work. She needed a language and decided that since many of her patients were Jewish, Yiddish would serve her well. And she did a brilliant job with Yiddish, so much so that at one time I said to her, Meg... You have a Jewish soul. And she would laugh. She was of, I forget what, a Protestant denomination, congregationalist, that's, that's what it was. And recently I saw her, and she told me how Yiddish helped her save someone's life because everyone was all flustered and they couldn't speak anything but Yiddish, and the few words that she said somehow saved this person's life. Mm-hmm. Then I saw her, and she said, you'll never guess what happened. And I said, I will. You converted. She said, how did you know? I said, Megala, did I not tell you you have a Yiddish neshama? And it was all because of her She converted to, to, Judaism, to Judaism, actually. Judaism, yes. The idea, that I, we started talking about the Jewish culture in Europe and yeah. how the role that Yiddish played in it. My a comment was that Yiddish was not only the language of business and people, Jews, lived all over Europe and the rest of the world and they communicated in Yiddish. So that was that suffused the culture and the culture suffused it. And in addition to that, of course, it was the language of the yeshiva and the base medrash and the synagogue, and that was uh, put a, a sacred... Of course, there are Orthodox Jews in Israel who yeah. refuse to speak yes. Hebrew. Uh, uh, Just the opposite. Or r- rather, they... Sp- there were Hebraists that, did, that refused to speak Yiddish. Well, the Orthodox speak Hebrew in the synagogue and Yiddish at home because whatever language is spoken on the street, they consider Goyish. Yeah, right. The, the thing is, here in America, we have a different situation. Many traditional people, religious and non-religious, traditional-minded people use Yiddish. But we're talking now about a generation and maybe two generations that have not been exposed to the culture the way our people were, and, uh, we and, and, and our parents and grandparents, we're talking about a different generation now. And we uh, find, that, interestingly enough and happily enough, that they're being attracted to the culture. Well, it is and the curious, language. actually, because certainly the prediction uh, 30 or 40 years ago, and I remember hearing the prediction then, was well, Yiddish is a dying language. It uh, will disappear, it will have archaic interest. Uh, as classical Greek has, but it won't be a spoken well, We did it once before, Milt. We did it once before with Hebrew language. Hebrew language came mm-hmm. back to life, and we can do it again. Yeah. But you're assuming that Yiddish is dead and needs to come back to life. As Isaac Pesheva Singer said, he said, what we should know is that there's a great difference between being sick and dying. Yiddish may be ailing, mm-hmm. but I see so many students reaching out and wanting to reconnect. And apart from the Orthodox speaking Yiddish for their own religious observance and for their own reasons, Yiddish as a language does contain all of that history and all of that culture well within its similes. Uh, 
a korafirene esrug. What is a korafirene esrug? In, in English, we would say, pretty is a picture. Well, I've seen pictures that are not so pretty. Cube is Picasso. I don't want to look like one of those Picasso women. But when a man says, Shane via korafirene esrug, he's referring to his culture, saying, as beautiful as an esrug, a citron from the island of Corfu, mm -hmm. from whence the most beautiful esrogim came and he would look at this esrog from every side and it had not a fault to it so when someone says Shane esrog, he's saying so much more than pretty as a picture we have a song uh, by the Maxwell Street Klezmer Band who by the way were the ones uh, whose recording we played at the opening of the program Tumbala Laika uh, which uh, it's a famous Yiddish song Shane V. D. Levona uh, that's of how do you define Levana? It's a Hebrew well, word originally, isn't it? Levana is the moon, and it's, it's not moon. a modern Hebrew word for moon because the modern Hebrew word for moon is Yoreach yeah. now. So it's an older one. That's Maybe an Aramaic the, word uh, for all we know. Shein Vida Levana is uh, actually a Yiddish theater song. Yes. It's a sort of, it's a, a product of the Yiddish Tin Pan Alley. Not quite a folk song. Yeah, which yeah. is, uh, uh, of course, Tin Pan Alley as such. The English-speaking Tin Pan Alley was a Jewish Tin Pan Alley in the main. Well, the great Tin Pan Alley composer was uh, Irving Berlin. Berlin. Yeah. And, lots and of even as well. in such a phrase as Shane V. de Levana, as beautiful as the moon, that too has within it, if you think about it, uh, a key to Jewish culture. It's not pretty as a picture mm. that someone painted, but as beautiful as one of God's creations, mm. luminous as something that ca man can't create. So it says something too about Judaism. Tell you what, let me just revise our schedule just a little bit. I want to get later on to the poem about the children of Maidanic. But since I've mentioned Shane V.D. Lavona, let us hear the Maxwell Street Klezmer Band. Uh, by the way, uh, Lori Lippitz is the manager of the Maxwell Street Band, and she's reachable. Her phone number is 847-675-4800. 675-4800. But here is As Beautiful as the Moon. Von Himmel am 
cultures persist, they also change. They go through certain transmutations. When that thing sounded, uh, started, I wasn't sure we had the right number. That's right. Uh, it was sort of a jazzy introduction or something. The words were right, but the feeling was The words was were right, wrong. but the feeling... Well, the feeling was American somehow, That's wasn't right. it? And these are American kids yeah. who have taken up Yiddish music and are doing something, in this instance, rather American with it, I would say. Yeah. It's so interesting that uh, most of the people that I come into contact with uh, come to Yiddish with uh, some foundation in Hebrew. And uh, that's a great help because, as we said earlier, that's the same alphabet. This, the spelling is a little different, but the same alphabet. But there, people may have the feeling, because of the experience in Israel, for its good reasons, had some competition between the two languages. It's good to understand that they no longer compete, nor should they ever have. Even before we come to that, I think it's very important to say to those people who are listening, and I'm sure lots of people are, who know nothing about uh, these languages, to make very clear to them that these languages are of totally different origin. They are not two different versions of no. the same root language. No, Hebrew is a, is a Semitic language. It's a Semitic language. And, uh, and Yiddish is not. Yeah. It's a Germanic, and it's taken in a lot of uh, Latin... It's Indo-European, yeah. via the Germanic yeah. branch. Yeah. Now, the, the, the interesting thing is that though, Hebrew, though Yiddish has about 11 or 12 percent... Uh, base, it's a lexicon, that is to say it's, it's, its vocabulary is from the Hebrew or, and Aramaic uh, Talmudic uh, origins, uh, that it, the language, the rhythm of Yiddish is Germanic. In other words, it tends to accent the words at the beginning of the word, and Hebrew, uh, generally, about 90% of the words accent on the end, so the rhythm is different. So instead of we say, Shalom Aleichem, in Hebrew we say in Yiddish, Shalom Aleichem, and we say Shabbos instead of Shabbat, so the accent is different, and you can immediately know, even if you don't know either of the two languages, you can tell from yeah. the rhythm of the language that people are using, whether they're speaking predominantly Yiddish or, or Hebrew. Well, they also sound very differently. Well, Say something in Hebrew. Don't know the I am not a Hebrew speaker. Let's hear some Hebrew, just to contrast the two. <laughs> uh, uh, how about take this? We say, let's take a sentence from the Torah. Hoshia et amecha uvarechet nachalatecha ureim v'nasem ado olam. And Yiddish is Hoshia et amecha uvarechet nachalatecha And we accent the words in, in, at the end of the word mm -hmm. uh, in, 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 uh, in Yiddish and the, uh, the, in Hebrew and the, the beginning of the word. Take a Yiddish expression. Uh, and we said, Shalom Aleichem. It would be totally the wrong rhythm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's uh, Shalom Aleichem. And in uh, Arabic, which is, of course, another great Semitic language, it's Salam Aleikum. Maybe it's Aleikum. Or Aleikum. You know, uh, before you spoke of Yiddish as being a shtetl culture. Yeah. And, shtetl uh, be meaning a village. Yes. However, uh, to really be fair, um, Yiddish, particularly in the 20th century, the first half of the 20th century in Europe, was a very big city culture, and all of the uh, all of the important cities of Europe with large Jewish populations had Yiddish publishing houses, Yiddish theaters, 
uh, Yiddish school systems all in Yiddish in big cities. Did your wife, Dina Halpern, who was a great actress in uh, the Yiddish language, did she start with the Warsaw Jewish Theater? She, she was a product of the Warsaw Yiddish, the Vikt, the Valshevel Yiddish Kunsttheater, uh-huh. the Warsaw Yiddish Art Theater. Her education uh, was in, in totally Yiddish-speaking schools where the language of instruction for geography mm-hmm. and mathematics and everything was in Yiddish. Were these after-school schools or full schools? Uh, in the main, they were after the school. They were after <coughs> the school schools, yeah. just like in for Hebrew teaching, mostly in, under the management of uh, religious congregations. Uh, they were also after the school. Yeah. The whole day school movement that we have now is a rather recent development in America. In a very, in America as a, a kid successful. in New, as a kid in New York, I went to the Shalom Aleichem Folkschule. After but school. that was after school. You'd yes. go there at 4 o'clock just in the afternoon. Just Yudlamit Peretz Shulis in New York. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. as I went to Hebrew school here in Chicago, and school was over at 3.30 in the public schools, yeah. uh, 3 o'clock, and by 3.30, 3.45, uh, till 6 or so, uh, we attended the Hebrew school. You told me once, so you learned Hebrew as a kid in Chicago. I learned right. Yiddish in my family and then uh, at the Shalom Aleichem Folkschule. Uh, but did you, didn't you tell me once that you learned Yiddish as an adult? And right. After you married Dina Halpern? At age 29, I married. Yeah. Uh, that, well, I was married for more than 40 years to Dina. Uh, and uh, at the time I married, I knew uh, uh, I could understand some Yiddish phrases, but I certainly wouldn't dare speak in Yiddish. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I married, I was thrust into an atmosphere of Yiddish culture. I was meeting with Yiddish actors and directors and scene designers and poets and intellectuals of all kinds. In Europe and in this country. First in this country. Uh, Remember that I'm speaking of, uh, uh, actually, next year will be 50 years. Mm -hmm. I was married in 1948. Ah, It was after the war, yes. uh, I attended lectures in modern art in Yiddish right here in Chicago. Every subject was discussed in Yiddish. And then I toured with my late wife uh, places like Argentina and Brazil and France and England and Israel and Australia and New Zealand, places like that. And uh, the, the language that was commonly used in all the places that we went for the people we dealt with was Yiddish. Now, with that, uh, Danny, give us some background for, and then let's come to this beautiful recording by Dina Halpern of the poem about the children of Maidanic. Uh, that poem has been, uh, this Dina's recitation of this poem, actually I think I have heard her, uh, I've heard her declaim in Warsaw and in Paris and in London and in, uh, in Chicago and I don't know how many places. Uh, at, uh, very, at uh, Holocaust memorials. It is a poem which uh, mourns the lost in the Holocaust, but by focusing especially on the names of children, of slaughtered children. That's right. And it's a a magnificent really great work by uh, Aaron Seitlin, Mm -hmm. one of the Gedoilim, one of the greats of modern Yiddish literature. Let's hear it right now. Open Maidanik. 
Children of Maidanek by Aaron Zeitlin. This great writer spent sleepless, agonizing nights sobbing out the names of Jewish children who were slaughtered in the infamous Nazi murder camp of Maidanek. Where are you, Moishele? Where is the light that shined in your eyes? Where are you, Sorele? Where are your pretty braids? But ashes cannot answer, and his anguish finds no surcease. Glimishi, toibishi, rivale, lay in you, fake in you, perale, hatskele, motale, kivale, herschele, labele, berle, shyle, hyle, goldele, mendalach, gnendalach, mindalach, zail in der Nacht in der schlufloser, nehmen von jüdische Kinderlach. Nehmen von jüdische Kinderlach, Rochalach, Rachalach, Nechalach, Getzalach, Welbalach, Wigderlach, Jankalach, Joinalach, Mechalach. Koppele, wie ist dein Käppele? Wie ist das Licht von dein Egele? Wie ist dein Händele, Jentele? Wie ist dein Fiesele, Egele? Nehmen. Odusses gibliebno, dvoirele, dvoschele, chayele, schmerele, perele, serele, schimele, schiele, schayele. Wer kon gefinnen itzt moischelen, scheuliken, schmuliken, sruliken? Gott hat auf seinisch derbarmt sich in hosse geschonken am muliken. Chaschele, blimele, ribele. Lein you, bailin you, serele, chatzkele, motele, kivele, herschele, labele, berele. Ois, hinishtumer de heschalach, heschalach, peschalach, hindelach, klangen blois, klangen blois, lied klangen, nehmen von jüdische Kinderlach. Wie ist dein Fiesele, Siesele, Zippele? Wie ist dein Zeppele? Reuch bist du jenteles Händele, Asch bist du koppeles Gäbele. God, that's strong stuff. Nehmen von jüdischer Kinderlach. In its simplicity. Names of Jewish children. Yeah. In its simplicity, it cuts everything. It's, oh, yeah. it's a great work. The poem is fantastic. But Dina, she lived it. These were Her the children yeah. of uh, Poland. Yeah. It's a heart-rending reading of the poem. Yeah. You know, yeah. she did something else that's equally touching, but much more positive and upbeat, which, uh, you know, is a rendition of uh, Yaakov Friedman's poem about the Helmer teacher, the oh. Melamed who comes mm -hmm. to the port in Haifa. <laughs> I'd like to just remind you of that, too, and leave you with a better, more upbeat, and with her voice, too. I mean, this is her voice. It tells of the Chelemer Malamed who comes to the port of Haifa and the customs inspector finds that he has a cage full of birds that he brought with him from Chelm. Why? And, is, and, the, the, and the 22 lines in this lovely poem. And she reads it so beautifully. And uh, he says the reason he brought the birds is because when he came back from the death camp and survived it and there were no Jewish children left in his town, 
he decided this is the time to go to Israel, mm -hmm. but he took birds along with him because he has to go where there are Jewish children. Because who else? There's nobody left in Poland to feed the birds, the Shabbos Shira, the Sabbath of Song, when the traditionally the children learn not only about the Sabbath of Song, but also that birds need to be kept and kindness to birds and animals. So he brought birds to Israel. Now these birds will be fed. Now that's a little more upbeat. And the, the Israeli customs inspector, yeah. very wonderful, who, who questions, who are these birds? What do you bring them here for? When he hears why, Phantom Venen, he begins to cry. Uh -huh. yeah. mm -hmm. The tough customs inspector. Yeah. How does one say, say it in Yiddish for him. We have to stop for some commercials. What did you want? Say it in Yiddish. Oh, mir dürfen Sie herabstellen, jetzt mit zu hören eine Reklame. A reklame? Reklame. A commercial. It's a good an word. An ad. An ad. An ad. An ad. A lovely word. Yeah. Okay, we'll do that. We'll be right back. There are great artistic works that come out of or were inspired by uh, cultural materials from the East European culture. One such is a play, uh, Der Dibuk, The Dibuk. Recently, a, an operatic version of that was performed at the Lyric. By the Lyric Opera Center for American Artists. Written by Shulamit Ron, who's the sort of permanent composer in residence at the University of And Chicago. an Israeli. She's an Israeli. Hebrew-speaking Israeli. As the name Shulamit would tell you instantly, yes. Um, interestingly, your wife, Dina Halpern, played in the famous film that was made of the Dibuk. When was that film made? 1938. It was, uh, hmm. uh, took a good part of that year, it was completed, and in 1939, <coughs> I saw the premiere in New York. It was made in Poland, was it not? It was made, yes, it was made in, in the studios in Warsaw, and part of it was made in a small a suburb of Warsaw, Kazmierz, I think it's called, uh, where, which is, to this day, retains mm -hmm. a, almost medieval characteristics yeah. of, of many years ago. Now, it's a, we're going to hear a reading from it by a great Jewish actor, a particular scene, but we need to get some sense of the story. It's a great folk tale. It's probably... Uh, parallel to similar folk tales in other folk traditions, I should think. Except this one uh, does have a serious, uh, uh, very serious side to it. I refer to the fact that a, a handshake, a promise, a pledge, a tkias kaf um, between two people uh, or more, whenever there's a tkias kaf, this is serious business. Uh, the story of, this, of the Dibuk is based on the story of two friends who were yeshiva friends together. Yeshiva chaverim, they studied together. When it came time for them to part, both were going to get married, and uh, they promised each other that uh, if and when their wives in the future would, uh, would bear children, if one would bear a son and one a daughter, they promised that their friendship was so deep and profound, they promised each other that they would permit, allow, enable or make possible the marriage of this boy, this son, to the to That's the what they daughter. shook hands on, and the word shook, being their bond. Their, their word was their bond, absolutely. Right. The years passed, and the father of the young man died, and he began his wandering from yeshiva to yeshiva, and he came to town as if his destiny brought him there, and he fell in love with the young woman that was intended for him by the parents, and then uh, she loved, it was mutual, <laughs> but the father, it, as it turns out, was a wealthy man, and... Uh, he felt that the, that his daughter deserved a uh, a wealthy bridegroom, and uh, so they do marry. And the, the son, of course, it's a 
strange to understand because a parent may not, uh, in Jewish law, may not uh, wed his uh, children unless, against their will. But that aside, uh, the, the, after he dies, it, in the short of the story is that the, uh, his soul comes to inhabit uh, the the soul of the it was his intended the young woman for whom he was intended for whom he was intended he haunts her he haunts her and there's a question of to uh, to uh, to try to ex- uh, expel the the this spirit who is making this uh, girl so very yeah. uh, mortally ill and here in the scene that you're going you're going to hear the a Meshulach comes. In this version of the play, he is an emissary from Yeshiva's Eb Meshulach who used to go around the country, around the world to collect funds and teach on their way. This man comes and he takes part in this ceremony. He comes to the father. Is the Meshulach the same as the Magid? Or is there no, no. no, no. Meshulach is an emissary. A messenger. He's a messenger. Yeah, an emissary. Yeah, he, yeah. Very, better, okay, better better word, yes. yes, emissary from Yeshiva. Mm-hmm. But in this case, case he's really the a shaliyah. divine Meshulach. Right. He's coming from here, heaven. Here he's called a Meshulach. And he's recognized mm-hmm. as such by the uh, participants. In and the in the uh, speech we're going to hear, done by a great Jewish actor named... The, the name of the actor is Noach Nachbush, yeah. a great uh, actor of, and of among the, the founders... Of the Vilna Truppe, which was Vil- one of the premier Yiddish art theaters of Europe. And what does he say in this scene? It's, it's, a rather, it's about four minutes long, it's in Yiddish. Yeah. Give us a fuller version okay. of he, what we're going to he hear. He is saying to the father of the girl who yeah. did not keep his promise, his tekiyas kaf with his friend, says to him, you promised such and such, and you didn't keep it. And when the boy came to your table and the, the couple fell in love, you ignored, you forgot, you are wealthy, and so you wanted to uh, marry your daughter to a, now, now what, to, mm. to a wealthy groom. Now what's going to happen is that the soul of the young man is seeking it requite he is unhappy first of all all the generations to come will not give birth to the offspring that they were supposed to do down throughout all generations and how can you now repair that so it's an unforgivable sin now by the way he starts off the first sentence in in this reading with the old story about if you see if you have glass you can see through it but if you put silver behind it make it a mirror then you can see only yourself in one sentence, he gives a short portrayal of that, of that thing. There's also something very interesting that he does. Um, not at the very beginning of the speech, but as it mounts, it turns into a kind of an intonation, which and that needs explanation. As the, intonation, the intonation. That he, the intonation that Noach Nachbush gives it, as he <coughs> did on the stage as well, is one of a magid. And a Magid is an itinerant preacher, usually, only a few of them uh, were very, very great and uh, have names like the Dubner Magid and the Kelmer Magid. The Kelmer Magid is a real person, as was the Dubner Magid, and Noach Nachbush knew the Kelmer Magid and, mm-hmm. and was very much devoted to him. They have a melody that goes along, just that so we have learning melodies, we have also Magid, Magid, uh, Magidische melodies that help to convey the lesson in a musical intonation. It's a wonderful performance. Here it is. In fenster is glows und in spiegel is glows. Nor das glows und spiegel is basilbert. Und wie bald basilbert set man no sich. Fender ben henne. In der Jugend center beide gewen chaveri menen jeschive. Beide jenen wo chotje chassene gehat. Und ihr habt auch gemacht mit der Kieskaff, dass eure Weiber, wenn ihr vernommen werden in Drogen, 
Um werden geboren, eine Asun und der andere a Tochter, wird ihr sich missraten sein. Sender bene Henier, nissen ben Rifkes Weib und geboren Asun, in derselben Zeit und dein Weib geboren a Tochter, bald nur dem ist nissen ben Rifke nister geworden. In der Emesser Welt und er sich der Wust, als ein Sohn ist gebenz geworden mit der größeren Schomme, und er steigt von ein Madrige auf der andere, und er hat weitergesehen, als wenn sein Sohn ist geworden älter, hat er sich gelost über der Welt und ist gegangen von Ort zu Ort, Land zu Land und Stadt zu Stadt, Warum sein Schomme hat sich gezogen zu sein Bascherter? Nun er ist gekommen in der Stadt, wo du wohnst. Und sein Schomme hat die Blonde, bis sie da rein wie die Buch in sein Bascherter. Schön der Benehenev, der Mestoir Nissen Benehenev. Er ist mit dem Sohn steuert geworden, abgeschnitten von den beiden Welten, geblieben ohne Nomen, ohne Gedächtnis, ohne Jeurisch und ohne Kaddisch. Sie ist verlassen geworden, ein Fäbig sein Licht. Die Kräuen von seinem Kopf hat sich herabgekeikelt in Abgrund. Und er bett dem Besen Zedek, er soll mich bitten, senden, Alpidin von unser heiliger Teure, für die Vergissung von Blut, von Nissen, Sohn und Sohnskinder und Kindskinder, als auf Did you notice the difference in the accents and dialect between yeah. this, the Litvish, and yes. what Jan Pierce, the, when Jan Pierce was singing the Southern? Very often mm. the songs will be in Southern Central dialect. Uh, and it's kind the, of interesting. Uh, interestingly, that the all of the Yiddish theaters of Europe had an official accent, uh, the accent of Volin, but not the Vilna Truppe that you, you just heard, a perfect example of that. They insisted on using their own manner of speech from Lithuania. <laughs> and Nachpush, uh, you just heard, <coughs> was speaking on MSN Litvish and Yiddish. Romanian uh, also predominated. The Romanian uh, dialect also was, uh, if, you, if you went to the theater in New York, you would have heard all the great uh, actors. Yeah. When I was a kid in New York, uh, something that was an object of uh, some condescension or some condescending humor was the Galiziana accent. My father used to sing a song in Galiziana accent. Um, the, the difference was in the vowels. Shaina Maidala Chapman und Miasel Lotman Gain rather than Shaina Maidala Chapman and so on. 
Right. The accents really are not one better than another. I'm sure, of course Lingu- not. Linguists course don't not. distinguish. And it's not necessarily from Galicia. It's from generally in Poland. No, yeah. there's a difference yeah, in the, dialect yeah. between Galiz- Galician and Congress Poland. There's, no, there's no, a difference. But the I... Was oh, yeah. To them all, yeah, and the reason rather than the A. And the reason the Volina uh, dialect was picked for the theater was it was thought that the Litvish dialect was very flat in its vowels and the Volina had more coloration. But before we go to some commercials which are waiting, I must ask you, Nathaniel, a little bit more about that performance. Uh, when was that done and how was that done? It was done frequently in, in Europe and. No, but I mean the, report, the recording that you the had. The recording that was made by him. Uh, was made uh, here in the United States. It was a, uh, a record, a disc, and uh, it was not uh, widely circulated, apparently, mm-hmm. because it seems to be about the only one uh, extant now. It's a wonderful area. performance. There's something, yeah. re- tru- there's something alien about it, something strange and exotic about it. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, the subject matter, of course. Subject well, matter it's, it's yeah. not just his performance. It's the, uh, it's the whole... Uh, the incantation style. Tradition that you're yeah. in, which is very yeah. special, very different. He used to travel the, the around. He was itinerant the, preacher. Yeah, he used to be on tour in America mm-hmm. several times after World War II, then in the 1950s. Yeah. Well, once you start talking about the Schwarz Eklippe, you're out of the realm of the ordinary, and there's going to be something surreal about Explain it. Explain that. The Schwarz Eklippe, the other world, the Shadim, the ghosts, the, uh, yeah. the demons. The demons that inhabit, yeah. spirits that inhabit the other world. Well, you're no longer in the realm yeah. of the real. The other great story that uh, that culture had which is equally supernatural, is, of course, the tale of the golem. Oh, cool. um, uh, I, uh, I knew the author of the play, The Golem, uh, Haleivik. Mm. But that's uh, adapted from old folk tales, of course. Yes, but he, the yeah. play, the drama, yeah. which uh, I think the um, French movie uh, of mm-hmm. Harry Bauer, uh, I believe, uh, was made. Cynthia Ozick, the great contemporary writer, has a wonderful short story or novella, really, in length, in which uh, this unhappy Jewish lawyer in New York decides that she's been badly treated and she wants to come set things right, and she makes a golem. And the golem fixes up all of New York and makes her mayor of New York. And uh, That's uh, Ozik's book now, Put Your Message. Right. It, well, it's, it, it is. It's part the story of was published some years ago, but it's now one yeah, of the chapters yeah. in the Puttermesser papers. Yeah. That's right. Right. She now has the sequel to it, yeah. the last part. Yeah. Right. Uh, we must pause. Some commercials, and also it's time to invite telephone calls. We're opening the lines. Uh, you don't have to be Jewish to enjoy Levy's Rye Bread or to give us a call. 591-7200, the number 591-7200. Any questions you've got, three experts here can certainly handle them for you. Any Thoughts or memories you want to share, we are more than interested in hearing from you. 591-7200-312 is the area code if you're calling long distance. Uh, the lines are available to you. We hope to get to the phones right after these words. Quick reintroduction of our guests, and we'll go directly to the phones. Nathaniel Stamford uh, was the dean of Spurtis Institute of Judaica. He is thus dean emeritus. He remains professor of Jewish studies. Uh, Hannah Fegele Turtletaub is a teacher of Yiddish um, and uh, is regularly involved in the operations of the Dawn Schumann Institute. Danny Newman is the fabled public relations counsel of Lyric Opera. 591-7200 is the number, and here is the first caller. Good evening. Good evening. Yes, ma'am. Many years ago, 
uh, I'm an Irish girl from Chicago, I read a book. It might have been for Two Cents Plain by Harry Golden. Mm -hmm. It contained a Yiddish curse, a very gentle one, but it's wonderful for dispelling road rage. Um, I've been using it all these years. Just once, I would like to hear it said. Can you say it in Yiddish? Uh, <laughs> if you don't laugh at me. No, we won't, I promise. Um, Salvaxen silpus in sein pupik. Tibulus and sein pupik. Onions may grow from his uh, navel. Right. <laughs> Could I hear it one more time? Zolvax and Sibilis in sein Puppet. You can Sibilis. You can also have Reitacher and Kartoffel. You can have anything grow out of his navel if you want. Radishes as well as potatoes. <laughs> well, you can make a salad if you like, but radishes, potatoes, or turnips, anything you like. Very Another good. somewhat more hostile uh, imprecation of that sort is Zolvax and Viat Sibilis mit Kopin You should grow like an onion with your head in the ground. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much. We thank you. Goodbye. Five nine one seven two double zero. The number five nine one seventy two hundred. You are on the air. Good evening. Is that me? Good yes, ma'am. Good evening to the experts in the studio. Um, I have a question. I've heard Poland mentioned quite often. I'm a great admirer of Jewish tradition in Europe uh, and also of uh, the history of Poland. And my question to the experts is: If one would like to turn to literature, to historical books treating the subject, namely the great wealth of the Jewish tradition as it developed in a very Catholic country uh, by history of Poland, where would one turn to? What Maybe some titles or, or some authors that one would turn to in terms of that uh, specific subject. That's my question. Yes. A very interesting question. Uh, do we have any good hi literary histories of, uh, of, of uh, Yiddish letters in Poland or in general in the East European uh, culture? There must be such works. We know the names of... We, we have many great writers, Sholem Aleichem, uh, Mendele. You're talking about literary histories. I yeah. mean, Irving Howe wrote a history of Yiddish literature. Well, he wrote a history, really, of the Jews in New York. Is that the way you mean? But Yiddish literature as well, through European literature and yeah. translation. Uh, I don't know of any such particular work, but they, they must exist. No, the novels that have been written by, uh, by our great writers... Uh, do a, a very good job besides the ones that uh, the, Dr. Chirltop mentioned just now. We hear uh, uh, Chaim Grade and all the other writers, especially from Vilna, who wrote uh, novels that touched on life, uh, culture, Jewish cultural life in Europe. The great novelists are, the one that's best known in this country is Sholem Aleichem, but there are many other... Yud Lamed Peretz, Mendel Svorim, there are many. Those are the, those those are the are classic the writers. They're considered the grandfathers no. of Yiddish However, literature. However, uh, Rabbi Stanford just mentioned Chaim... Uh, Rabbi Stanford just mentioned Chaim Grade, and uh, Chaim Grade was a, a great Yiddish writer, a poet as well as a novelist, and uh, his books are now, a number of them translated into English, and Grade was in America would be grade, G-R-A-D-E. It is, of course, interesting that the only writer in Yiddish who won the Pulitzer Prize uh, was... Uh, Bashevis Singer. Was yeah. Isaac no Bashevis Singer. No Nobel. Did no I say Pulitzer? It yeah, it was Nobel. Pulitzer's a lesser prize. The Nobel, of course, is what I mean. Uh, the only one who won the Nobel. Uh, he wrote in Yiddish, but then he uh, translated... He and his son translated... Most of his work into English. Well, didn't he did write in Yiddish. He wrote exclusively in Yiddish, and he said that because that's the only language he knows really yeah. well. But getting on toward the end of his life, he felt compelled to participate in his own translations. Yeah. And he did have various translators, but he was working right along with them toward the end. 
He wanted to make sure that they translated everything correctly. Our thanks to the caller, and we'll go to another, the number 591-7200. 591-7200, and the area code is 312 if you're calling long distance. And here is the next caller. Hello, you're on the air. Hello, are you there? Hello, yes. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I want to share my memories with you. I was raised up in the Yiddish theater. My father owned a Yiddish theater on the west side called the Lawndale. Over 50 years ago, I know Danny Newman will relate to this. Are you a Nelson? Yes, I am. Well, I'm Charlie's daughter. Char- Char- you're Charlie's daughter. How yes. are you? Well, I'm getting along as uh, you can I hear. Loved, I loved your wife, Dina. She was the sweetest, most gracious lady I ever knew. You've got it. And I enjoyed many wonderful times with her sitting in the Covenant Club waiting for our husband. Yes, I, and you know, uh, her father, Char- her father, Charlie Nelson. Right. Uh, was the uh, he was very distinguished in the life of the Yiddish theater. He owned the Lawndale Theater, right. which was out near Crawford, yes. on on uh, Roosevelt, on Roosevelt Road. Road, and uh, he opened the theater in the teeth of the Depression, right. I think, in 1929, which was very courageous. Yeah. And uh, he uh, he was only able to hold out for several years before the Depression. Uh, got too tough. At, at its height, what was the extent of Yiddish theatrical life in this town? Oh, there were in every neighborhood in the mm-hmm. city there were Yiddish stock companies. Really? Logan Square, Logan. And Hyde Park, everywhere, all over the city. And then, of course, in the Loop, uh, all of the th- theaters like the Apollo Theater and the Civic Theater and the Selwyn Theater and the Harris Theater all had touring Yiddish companies from New York. The Civic Opera House uh, at touring companies from New York. And, and the smaller house uh, that adjoined the Civic Opera House, the Civic Theater, had Yiddish companies. Were the audiences... And on the west side, uh, there was the Road Theater, which was uh, near Independence Boulevard. Well, well now, Danny, were the, were the audiences essentially uh, composed of European immigrants? I would say yes, but not no. entirely. Not entirely. And then, of course, there was the, uh, the, the famous uh, Douglas Park Theater. And then on... Uh, Blue Island Avenue, what I, the name escaped me for a minute. There was a very, a very large theater, and before that, I mean, there were the Imperial Theater here on Halsted Street, and there were uh, probably, in the history of Chicago, at least several dozen specifically Yiddish theaters, and they had enormous audiences. They were mainly commercial theaters, you see. There, there were no art theaters. As uh, Maurice Schwartz had developed in New York, and later, Jacob Ben-Ami, who was also a great European Yiddish actor, uh, developed his own art theater in New York. When I was a kid in New York, there were these great art theaters. Uh, Second Avenue was the Jewish theatrical street. But there were also uh, lots of Jewish musicals, some of them uh, quite uh, quite obvious and, uh, and noisy. Uh, Most of them quite obvious and noisy. Yeah, but, uh, so, but some of it, you know, rather funny. Uh, some of the titles are just wonderful. There was one, was it merely a song or was it the name of a musical play? Ich bin a border by mein vibe. That was one of the songs from the play. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bin a bo- Was it merely a song or was it the name of a musical play? 
Ich bin a border by mein Weib. That was one of the songs from a play. Yeah, <laughs> yes, ich bin a border by... The, the, the story was yeah. that when he was married to her, she didn't pay any attention to him, yeah. but a paying customer, a boarder, <laughs> she cooked for him and cleaned for him. So this guy had the idea he was going to divorce his yeah. wife and rent that room, and she would pay attention to him. Ich bin a border by mein the, Weib. The great um, composer of that group in New York uh, I think, was Sholem Secundo, am I right? Uh, he was one of them, and he was very good. Very good. He was also a, uh, a major liturgical composer for the synagogue. Was he really? And he was actually Richard Tucker's musical director for uh, virtually Tucker's entire major career. And he, he didn't write the uh, Border song. Yeah. No. Actually, his Border mm. songs and so on are just, you see, every theater, and British theater has the uh, as the British National Theater, it also has music halls where you have vaudeville. Mm -hmm. uh, the Yiddish Theater, as the uh, majority theaters in the various so many countries that mm -hmm. Yiddish Theater took place in, also had its music halls <laughs> and low comedians. Speaking about Yiddish Theater, we have one other thing that I want to play. Uh, Nathaniel was kind enough to dig out for me from the archives at Spurtis um, the film by one of the great Jewish theatrical artists, whose name has come up a few times already, Maurice Schwartz. I know he was also somebody uh, who uh, you knew quite well, Danny. Um, and he made a film. Uh, this, of course, is interesting. It must be very would have to be very interesting to all of the listeners who don't know this theatrical, this Jewish theatrical tradition, but who uh, are fond of uh, Fiddler on the Roof, which is a great success and has been all over the Western world. It comes as probably lots of people know from the stories of Sholem Aleichem. What they probably don't know is that much earlier, Maurice Schwartz did an adaptation from those stories by Sholem Aleichem, uh, not a musical, uh, called Tevya der Milchiger, Tevya the, uh, the, the, the Dairy Man. The, the Dairy Man. And he then made a film, did it on stage first, then he made a film out of it. The film was shot in New York State in the years just before World War II, I guess. I, uh, in, in the yeah. 30s, I think. Now, we've got a scene from it. Uh, and Nathaniel, you know this, uh, I, I imagine all three of you know this film well. Uh, this is the scene, the great central f uh, problem of this is here's a shtetl family with a very orthodox father played superbly by Schwartz. Really not so much a shtetl family as a rural family. Well, a rural family, yeah. yeah. Yes, he's more a farmer than yeah. living in a shtetl. And he is, he has a f few cows and he sells milk. Yeah. Actually, he has one cow. Only the one. Yeah. Yeah, and one rather... When they made the movie of Fiddler on the Roof, they had a herd of cattle. Yeah. He also has a very reluctant horse who uh, doesn't uh, pull very strongly. Uh, but uh, his, one of his daughters falls in love with a non-Jewish peasant boy. A Cossack? No, well, he's a Ukrainian. He's oh, not a wait a minute. You mean the socialist? No, 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 no. He's no, no. just a, 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 a goy. He's just a peasant. A nice a, Ukrainian who boy. Who reads, and that's their connection, that they both read a lot. And she doesn't uh, understand why Tevya doesn't like him. Two you don't understand him, she two says. two different daughters. That's right. Uh, yes, but here's the scene. The scene coming is when uh, the young lover has just escaped Tevya's glance. He jumps off the uh, the balcony of, or the porch of the house, but he's given her a book. It's... Uh, a book by Maxim Gorky. And Tevya arrives, and he's kind of suspicious, and he wonders, what's in this book? And she then tells him, well, it's by Maxim Gorky. He says, who's this Gorky? She says, well, he, he stands next to Tolstoy, 
the famous Count Tolstoy. You just know who Count Tolstoy is. And he talks about books and how they can and cannot be used. He looks in the book and sees a picture of Gorky, and he says, this is a lovely moment, I think I saw this man. I think I saw him maybe at the railroad station. Uh, and so it goes. If you don't know the Yiddish, you can't get... Well, you'll get enough of a sense, I hope. What have I left out, Nathaniel, that, that should be put in? Um, you, that, I, you got it covered. That gives us the scene. Yep. Here it is. Ich 
Die allein suchst, dass du ein Gott im Himmel für alle Menschen. Und wenn sie kommt, sie nicht bist. Nein, wir wollen reden zurück, bis die Tage gerecht. Am Rabbein ist schon, sind da alle Menschen gleich. Kol ist ruhig, jetzt lo im Chilikleil im Abbas. Sie ist jeden in Goyen, alle gleich. Aber das weißt du doch, der hat jeliger Teure den Sohn gesucht. Und wir sollen alle Menschen lieben, nur am Mulligen, wo es hat den Schlerz getan, sollen wir gedenken, ewig, ewig. Was meinst du damit? You know, I'm doing something unusual tonight. We've done programs on Yiddish once or twice before in my long, long uh, involvement in, with this program, but never before have we taken long scenes like this in a language that, after all, most of our listeners probably, well, surely do not understand, uh, and played them through. I wonder how that conveys to somebody who doesn't know the Yiddish language. It seems to me that his intonations, his style, uh, his projection mm. of character comes through, must come through, even if you don't understand the words. I believe it does. And uh, oftentimes we, we have occasion to uh, to make presentations. We try to do it in small segments, even mm. if it's a longer story, do the English first and then Yiddish. Yeah. Sometimes once we get into the story, I've noticed that we, we don't need to do the English first. We, the story sort of carries itself yeah. along, and the people obviously have some connection with Yiddish. This is a wonderful film. I saw it many years ago, and then through your good uh, 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 services, Nathaniel, your good offices. I saw it again because you d dug it out for us. And I just loved watching it. Uh, and uh, it does have English titles. The version, I guess these have been sort of redone. This has been completely redone by the uh, uh, the Jewish Film Center mm -hmm. on the campus of Brandeis University. And they've done an awfully good job with it. I gather they've done this with many other films yeah. as well. Uh, a, a number, not a great number, but yeah. a number. But this film, which is simply called Tevya, I believe, uh, may well be available at least in places like Facets Multimedia. Mm -hmm. Does uh, Spurtis uh, rent out or lend out uh, films yes, of uh, this sort? Yes, we have a very substantial library. Oh, you uh, do? Library, yes, so it's Jewish certainly films, available yeah. there. Um, we must pause. Uh, a last round of commercials is mm -hmm. overdue. We take care of those, and then we'll try to get back to the phones on 591-7200. Uh, with a few quick words uh, also of a commercial nature, uh, we urge you to pick up a copy of the Chicago Tribune this Sunday and every Sunday and uh, thus you can learn about new book releases, read the reviews, and uh, read about literary events coming up, including often uh, authors who appear on this program and then appear elsewhere in town at signings and so on, uh, all to be found in the Tribune book section on Sunday. And we want to go back to the phones for one or two more necessarily very quick phone calls on 591-7200, and here is another caller. Hello, you're on the air. Oh, hello, I'm on the air? Yes, ma'am. Oh, I've been waiting a long, long time. I want to thank you for the lovely program. It was really a pleasure to hear this wonderful, wonderful program on Yiddish, of the music, and so on. And I just wanted to tell you that out in Buffalo Grove at the JCC, every single Monday, 
of the year, except for holidays, of course, we have a Yiddish class. And they are all seniors. There are about 24, 25 people that come in every Monday. And we do a nostalgic type of Yiddish class. And everyone really enjoys it, and we love it. And there are also such classes throughout the city. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, in fact, with our guest. Now, uh, where and how... uh, where do you teach Chana, and how can people get in touch with you? Well, I teach uh, through the Dawn Schumann Institute. I have an ongoing class on Monday that's an intermediate class, Monday at Kins, And then I have an advanced class. We've been meeting for nine years. We're reading literature and going through the grammar of the second textbook at my home Monday night. Is there a phone number where people can be Absolutely. Absolutely. 847-675-3335. I do private lessons and lectures, and I'd love to hear from you. And Nathaniel, are you, are you still... Yeah. Teaching regularly? Yes. Uh, at at Spurtis? I teach at Spurtis. The class meets in Skokie in Niles Township Jewish Congregation on Wednesday evenings uh, starting September 10th. Also, a, that's an advanced class. It's been in session also about 10, 11 years. But we also have an introductory course for those interested on Tuesday evenings starting in September. Again, at Spurtis? At, this is at Spurtis. Here. What's the number there? 312 uh, Two two. Aha! I got you. One seven. Yeah, <laughs> one seven. Uh, two two. Three two two. One seven. No no. Three two two. One seven two two. Yeah. That's the uh, information. Very good. Let's see. Is there time for another caller? Uh, perhaps one more. Very quickly. Um, no, I think not. In fact. Time is very short. We really want to sum up. If we well, can. I want to tell people about the trip that we're going to be taking to the Yiddish Theater, the Volksbühne ah. Theater, uh-huh. in November, the first week of November. If you like Yiddish Theater and you haven't seen it, please call the Dawn Schumann Institute and, uh, and ask them about it. I'd love to see you there, too. There's so much one might have said about the culture that we've been talking about. Can't, uh, obviously, there's, there's much more to be said than we could possibly do in two hours, interpolated with five commercial breaks. But uh, it has, for me, been uh, more than a delight. It's been uh, uh, very deeply moving to do this and to talk about it. I want to end, as we go out, with yet another thing from uh, Jan Pierce. And we've got a few minutes for this. Uh, a song, this must this must be an, a true folk song, or is it not, Danny? You would know, Who is Dos Gessela? Where is the Little Street? I believe that's a folk song. Yeah. Uh, and let's bring it up even now as we talk, while perhaps Hanna uh, Fegele could tell us something about it. It talks about the life in the shtetl and someone returning to that life where he sentimentalized it, but he sees that it's destroyed. Where is the street? Where is the little girl I loved? It's all changed now. It's very nostalgic. Very nostalgic. Yeah. yeah. We'll end with that. Uh, we'll listen to it for about two minutes or so before... We come to the end of the available time. My deep thanks to my three friends who joined us tonight, Danny Newman, Nathaniel Stampfer, Hanna Fegele, Turteltaub. And thanks to all for listening. We will not be here tomorrow. Another ball game from the West Coast. We'll be back on Monday night with Neil deGrasse Tyson, a wonderful fellow. I met someplace at a scientific meeting a few years ago. He is a, an astronomer and astrophysicist. He is now the director of the Hayden Planetarium in New York, and he's done a wonderful book titled Merlin's Tour of the Universe. That's Monday at 9. Until then, a cordial good night to all.